Good morning, good morning. How are you folks today? Someone said it's, some, thank you. I heard that one. Someone said it's supposed to rain all week. Praise the Lord. I think the farmer said, hopefully it's not too late. You know, but we need it. We need the rain. So, um, but anyway, I want I wanted to begin this morning with... Um, about this this ancient story here is <clears throat> told of a father and his son who were walking along a road one day with their donkey and soon as they were walking along the road they they met this man who told them how foolish they were to walk when they had this donkey that could be ridden so the father and the son they hopped on okay well they continued down the road and they hadn't gone very far when they met another man. And this man criticized them both for riding on that donkey because they were too heavy for it. He contended they were being inhumane. And so the boy got off. It wasn't long before that when they met a third traveler going down the road who accused the father of being inconsiderate because he, you know, he made his son walk while he rode. And so the, the two switched places. And soon they met another man who charged that the son was not being thoughtful or respectful of his father, making him walk because he's so much older. When last seen, though, folks, the two were trudging down the road carrying the donkey. <laughs> You've heard that one before? <laughs> you know, there's an old rock song I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test your memories here, that says you, you, you can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. Does anybody know that song? I went to a garden party, reminisce with my old friends. Remember that song? Who sang that song? Ricky Nelson. You can't please everyone, so you got to what? Please yourself. That's right. That's that was a Ricky Nelson song. I wouldn't necessarily call that a rock song, but it was a, you know, it was back in that day. So I guess the question is this: Whom do you try to please? Ask yourself that question. Who do you try to please? If you listen to the crowd and try to dance to their tune, you're always going to be frustrated. If you if you are overly sensitive to the opinions and the criticisms of others, what's going to happen is you, you will end up carrying a needless burden of guilt and inadequacy. That's what you'll end up doing. And if you if you just try to please yourself, then then people are going to say that you're just egotistical or, or you're selfish. It's almost like we don't win. That's why, as Christians, our goal should be to seek to please God, not another person. See, Paul wrote this. He says, for to me to live is Christ. And that should be our focus. That should be the focus of the faithful. That should be our focus. The ultimate Ultimately, our accountability is to God. We are not trying to please men, but we are trying to please God. 
And he's the one that tests our hearts and our minds. How many of you can think back to 2004? I'm trying to remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Oh, that's right. I didn't have anything. Yeah. That, it was back in 2004 when the, the Summer Olympics were being held in Athens, Greece. Do you remember that? Well, the, the USA came away, and normally they do, with, with more medals than any other country. Michael Phelps, it was during that Olympics that Michael Phelps won eight medals. Do you remember that? He had six gold and two bronze medals. It was also in that Olympics where the USA men's basketball team finished third. They finished third, struggling with their outside shooting and really trying to stay focused on their defensive game. They could not stay focused on that defensive game, and so they they came in third place, which is almost unheard of. Well, I will say that the redeeming factor was that the USA women's basketball team finished first and took home the gold medal. You know, it's also interesting to note that that year, and I remember this because I was I was one of the Vacation Bible School leaders of that. It was that year that a lot of the Vacation Bible School curriculum centered around the Olympics. I want to before I move on here, I want to also make a note of this other detail that in the 2008 Olympics, which is 4 years later, guess how many medals Michael Phelps won? He won another 8 medals. This time, they were all gold, though. He won eight gold medals. Olympic athletes, I think, are amazing individuals. And I think what amazes me most about them is their, their concentration, their dedication, and their focus. The focus that is needed to even make it to the Olympics. Can you even imagine you know, those athletes have been training and working every day for years in order to get to that one competition or, or a couple of those competitions, that one year where they really got to make it work. And so, of course, I think the same could be said of any championship athlete as well as any other profession in life. It, it's, it's determination and it, it's focus that is necessary to reach our highest goals. Determination and focus. I know some of you, and you probably know me pretty well, that, you know, it's hard sometimes. I mean, I could be sitting there in, in full sentence and, and stop and lose my focus. How about you? Sometimes it's hard to stay focused and determined, and we need to do that. And see, I think what is true in so many areas of our life is also true with the most important and the most vital pursuit of our life. And you know what that is? It's the, it's the vital relationship, it's the pursuit of the vital relationship with God. To, to, to really try to stay focused on that. See, in our text this morning, Paul tells us that in order to grow as Christians, we must be focused, we must be determined. He tells us that. We will not grow if we, if we don't work at growing. You gotta work at it. You know, we all know that salvation is by grace through faith at the occasion, I believe, at our baptism. But growth requires that we cooperate with and that we submit our will to God. How many of you are doing that right now? Don't raise your hands. You don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you are doing that? In Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, 
Here's what Paul says. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so and, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's what he tells us there. So in a sense, what Paul is saying to us here is this. I want to know Christ in a personal and practical way. I, I do. I just want to know him in a, in a personal, practical way. I want to begin to experience the power and the freedom and the joy that comes when we live in the light of the resurrection. He goes on to say this. I want to have an attitude, the, the attitude that Jesus had when facing difficult times. I, I want that attitude in my, in my life. I want to know the, the sense of peace that, that transcends the world, that, that surpasses all understanding, that guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, as Paul says that. And he says, I, I, want, I want to live now as a person who, who attains the resurrection of the dead on this side of the grave. See, it was Paul, who we just said earlier, who said, for to me to live is Christ... To die is gain. That's what he tells us. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. These are Paul's goals. That's what he tells us there. And so Paul, in, in, the, in the verses that, that follow, Paul gives us some guidelines as to how we can focus on our spiritual growth. How many of us here today, and I don't need to see hands, but how many of us here today focus on spiritual growth? Do you, do you focus on spiritual growth? How, what does that look like, even? I'm not even sure I know what that looks like completely, but do we focus on spiritual growth? Here's what Paul says. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, and this, I need to move this monitor over here a little bit, but, um, I don't know how it got moved there, but he says this. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, he says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's almost like he, he grabbed a hold of me, took hold of him. And he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But he says, this one thing I do. Notice he is single-minded, this, this one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's what he tells us. Wow. So the first guideline, and there's going to be five here today. The first guideline Paul gives us to help us focus on our spiritual growth is this. It's that we must realize that God does have goals for our lives. God has a goal for you. He has goals for your life. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The words I want you to notice in this passage here is this. For that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul understood that the Lord took hold of him and his life. And that, that God had a goal in mind for Paul. And I believe that this is true of every single one of us in this room as well. He has taken hold of us. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. The Lord has taken hold of you. Romans 8.28, 
is a verse which many people probably know by heart, but verse 29 is not so known. Paul shares this. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But notice what he says in verse 29. He says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Do you see God's purpose in calling us? Did you see that in there? Did you see it? He wants us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. God's desire is that we grow up to be just like Jesus. Anybody ever read Max Lucado's book, Just Like Jesus? Anybody out there? You should read that book. Excellent book. Just Like Jesus. That's his desire. Why is this important? Why is it important? First of all, it's important to realize that that God's goal is not just to get us in that door, get us in this baptistry, get us saved. That's not just his only goal for us. God's goal is also that he would be working to transform us. He wants to transform our lives into something beautiful. You know, that, that little, the, the perfect example of that is, the, is the, the little worm becoming a beautiful butterfly. That's the concept of transforming our lives. You know, the Christian is one who is ever moving towards Christ's likeness. Does this describe your life? Always moving forward in Christ's likeness? You know, we should be making progress towards holiness. That should be, that should be our goal. But secondly, it is important to realize that, that, that God has a job for us to do. He has called us. And He hasn't just called us, He has called us to something. Did you know that? God has called you to something. And it is up to us to figure that something out. But God has called us. We are part of His plan. God does have a plan for your life. And His plan will lead you to joy and, and fulfillment and contentment. And it will ultimately lead to eternal blessing. But God has called you. He has called us to something. And He has asked us to conform to the likeness of His Son. That's what He wants. That is, that is His desire for us. The second guideline that Paul gives us to help us focus on our spiritual growth is this. That you need to recognize, and this is going to be hard for some of you, you need to recognize that you have not arrived yet. We need to recognize that we have not arrived yet. Paul not only recognizes that the Lord has has a grand purpose for his life. Notice what he says there. I'm, I'm just going to read that real quick. Verse 12 there. He says, Not that I have already obtained all of this or have, have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. You know, he, he hasn't. He says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. You know, Paul not only recognizes that the Lord 
is, 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 has a grand purpose for his life, he realizes that, that he has not arrived at that purpose yet. Paul knows that he is not what he should be. He is aware of his faults in the, in the areas where he still needs growth. That word perfect in that passage there also means the word complete. It means the word complete. Paul recognizes that he is not finished yet. As long as he has air in his lungs and time to breathe and to live, he is not finished yet. And I like the way Chuck Swindle recognizes this. He says, God is seeking progress, not perfection. He wants to see progress in your life. Please, please hear this. Listen to me for just a second. Some people get so discouraged, and you know who you are. Some people get so discouraged because they feel they aren't progressing very rapidly in their Christian walk. The Christian life is a life of growth and maturity, much like life itself. Growth takes time. I want to encourage you in that. Growth takes time. You know, as diligent as Paul worked at his faith, he still had not arrived. So don't get discouraged. you got to just keep moving forward. Remember what Chuck Swindle said, God is seeking progress, not perfection. So you just need to keep moving forward, remembering that growth just, it takes time. It just does. You know, but you know what? There are some people who have a different problem. It's kind of like the other side of the coin, you might say. They have concluded that they have arrived at where God wants them to be. You know, they have reached a certain point in their knowledge or experience, and they conclude that they are mature and that they don't need to work as hard. But I want to tell you something. Those who think this, I think, have a faulty view of their own situation. I think that they are looking only at the surface. God is concerned with the heart. He is concerned with the heart. You know, I think what we need to do is we must measure ourselves by Jesus. Measure yourself by Christ. He wants us to be pure in our actions. He wants us to be pure in our conversations. He wants us to be pure in our thinking and our attitudes and our relationships. He wants us to love him more than anything else. That's what he wants. He wants to be in a position of influence in every part of your life, not just some parts of your life where you can hide the rest of it in the closet and only bring it out when you want to play with it. He wants he wants to be influencing every part of your life. So if you understand the standard, you will, like Paul, understand that you have not arrived yet. I have not arrived yet. The third guideline that Paul gives us to help us focus on our spiritual growth is this. And this is a biggie. This is a really one. This is a big one. You should not live in the past. Notice what he says there in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain towards what is ahead. 
First, let me tell you what this is not, doesn't mean. Paul tells us that if we want to be focused on our growth, we must forget the past. But obviously, Paul is not telling us that we literally need to stop remembering things. Now, maybe some of you do that because you just don't remember things. But certainly, we should, we should remember who we were before we found Jesus or before he found us. We should remember the times we have seen God's faithfulness demonstrated. Shouldn't we remember those things? You know, we, we need to remember the mistakes that we've made so we don't, we can avoid them in the future. Paul is also not telling us that we should not fulfill our responsibilities of the past. We need to fulfill those responsibilities. You know, if we've wronged someone, we should try to make it right. If we've stolen something, we should, we should make restitution. If, if we have a problem with someone, we should seek to be reconciled. So what does Paul mean here then? What is he telling us here? I think that what he's saying here is that when Paul talks about forgetting, he is telling us that, that we can't and we must not live in the past. What happened in the past is the past, and we must keep going forward. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? He said that love, agape love, true godly love, keeps no records of wrongs. Husbands and wives, remember that verse. 30 years ago, you said this to me. You know, you, you can't keep dredging up the past. The past is the past. There are two reasons we need to forget the past. And the first is this, is that we have a tendency to fixate on the past. You know, we, we will hold on to some bad experience and what happens is, is that it becomes an anchor that just weighs us down. And I've been there. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about. We will remember a hurt that someone inflicted and it's just going to eat us up. We will remember a time when, when we stumbled and, and we will determine that we're never going to try that again. How we deal with the painful times of the past is going to determine how we live in the present. It really is. And so we really need to be careful that, that we don't allow that to happen. We must learn from the pain and then we move on. You know, what God has forgiven should never be taken as a burden again. And that's easier said than done. I know that. But that's the way it should be. And the second thing that, that I want to point out here is that we have the tendency to rest on the past. That happens a lot. We will replay the, the past victories and be content to remember instead of continuing to push ahead. You know, this happens to many people. Paul determined that he would not rest on past accomplishments, but always look forward to what yet needed to be done. That's what Paul did. There are Christians who are always talking about great times of faith in the past. You know, they talk about how, how intimate their relationship with Christ was. You know, it's all past tense. We, we, must, we must forget the past and we need to focus on the present. Sports teams, sports teams have this problem. 
particularly the Dallas Cowboys, they have this problem. They have a great victory, all those Super Bowls in the 90s, and, and, and they glow in those victories, and then all of a sudden, the next game or the next 30 or 40 years, they lose their inferior, you know, they, they lose to an inferior opponent all the time. I'm sorry if one of you is a Dallas Cowboy fan out there. <laughs> well, not really, but anyway. <laughs> but the same is true with my preaching. The same is true here. You know, I will usually allow myself Sunday and Monday morning to enjoy or to learn from the, the past week's worship experience. I mean, the worship up here this morning was just awesome. I, I enjoyed that so much. You guys blend so well together. I, I just really enjoy that. You know, and I, I always like listening to Paul's um, communion meditations because they're, they're pretty, pr- pretty good, pretty good um, messages there. But see, by Monday afternoon, I have to let it go. I just have to let it go. You know why? Because the focus is on next week. You know, we, we got, we got to move on. The focus is on, is on next week. And so I have found that I must keep looking forward and not looking backwards. That's where I got to keep my focus. And so the fourth guideline that Paul gives us to help us focus on spiritual growth is this. It's to be intentional about growth. What do you do to be intentional about your spiritual growth? Paul tells us that he presses on in verse 14 there. And this is the same word, believe it or not, this is the exact same word that he used. If you go back to to Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, it's the same word that he uses to describe his zealous persecution of the church when he was seeking to destroy the church. It is with the same kind of intensity that Paul pursues God's plan for his life. How he was pursuing the first century church to kill them, this is the kind of pursuit that he is making with God now, God's plan for his life. Because notice what Paul says. He also says, this one thing I do. He is single-minded. He is not distracted. This one thing I do. He was clear where he was headed. He tells us that he is stretching forward and he is reaching his goal. He is not only concentrating, he is straining forward. I was watching this race and it was just a few, uh, maybe a few days ago, this girl, this little girl was running against this big lady and they're coming around the turn and they're neck and neck all the way down. And then all of a sudden they get to like five feet from the finish line. And she doesn't just lean forward. It's almost like she dives forward for the finish line. And I think her baton or whatever she had in her hand just was past the girl that was right neck and neck with her. That's Paul right there, folks. That is Paul. You know, he he is not only concentrating, he is straining forward. You know, the image is like that of running a race. You see people in a race lean forward. And that's exactly what that girl was doing when she dove across the line there. And this is the image that Paul uses for his desire to grow spiritually. That is his desire. You know, some of mankind's greatest contributions have come from people who decided that no sacrifice was too large and no effort too great to accomplish what they set out to do. A guy by the name of Edward Gibbons spent 26 years writing the history of 
of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. 26 years. Noah Webster, you want to know how long he diligently worked to print his first edition of the dictionary? 36 years. You know, it is said of the Roman orator Cicero that he practiced before friends every day for 30 years in order to perfect his public speaking. What focus? What persistence? Now, think about how much energy we put into the Lord's work. Just think about that for a second. How much energy do we put into the Lord's work? I would say that for some of us, it's to be commendable. The Lord knows it. For others, the comparison might be rather embarrassing. And I guess I'm not saying that to, to down anybody here. Not at all. Not at all. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I just think that what we need to do, it, it should lead us to ask ourselves. And I think that's an important question to ask, to think about the energy that we put into the Lord's work. It should lead us to ask ourselves some really heart-searching questions, I think. Number one is, why is our service for Christ sometimes performed half-heartedly? You know, why, why do other things always come before our time with the Lord? And, and you know as well as I do, when you, when you sit down and you're going to say, I'm going to have a quiet time and, and I'm going to do it this time every day, then all of a sudden everything's going to be wanting to pile on that time because that's what Satan does. He doesn't want us to have a, a quiet time every day at the same time of the day for with the Lord. He just doesn't want that. And so he's going to try to do everything that he can to disrupt that. And I guess the other thought that I had was, why do we prepare more diligently for our responsibilities in the world than we do for our responsibilities with the church? The church is supposed... I mean, if you remember back, I've said this before, it used to be back in the olden days that that the church was like the hub of the society. I mean, it centered around that that whole situation. Why is my church attendance so lacking? What, you know, the, the frustration there. You know, and, and I can guarantee you, it's really tough when you roll over and you hit that alarm clock, not want to just go back to sleep. It is so frustrating. I think sometimes we, and we, I think we said this last week, Paul said that the spirit is willing, but the flesh sometimes is really weak. And it gets very frustrating. Growth will not happen if we are haphazard about our spiritual life, it just won't. Practical diligence means making time for God in our schedule. Do you make time for God in your schedule? I'm sure that if most of you, if not all of you, do that. I'm sure of that. You know, finding time to thoughtfully read the Bible, planning times of prayer, You know, making worship and service a priority on our calendars. Doing a regular and honest spiritual evaluation of ourselves. Do we do that? You know, um, turning away from worldly pursuits. That's hard. That's not an easy one. Pushing ourselves to study and read for growth. You know, daring to reach beyond what is always comfortable and safe to the unknown. Remember last week? Do you remember last week when Peter got out of the boat? If he had never gotten out of the boat, guess what? 
He would have never found out that he could actually walk on the water. But he got out of the boat. He left his comfort zone. And there for a period of time, he walked on the water. A successful coach reported that he lived by a very simple creed that he had found one time. This is what he says. He says, press on. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men in talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb, he said. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are important. I don't completely agree with that, that coach's assessment. Because, see, he's not taking into consideration the Christian walk, the Christian life. Because, see, in the Christian walk, love must be paramount. Because it is the mark of what a true Christian is all about. You know, in John chapter 13, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is to be paramount for us. And then the last guideline that Paul gives to us to help us focus on our spiritual growth is this. It's to keep your eye on the goal. Keep your eye on the goal. Look at verse 14 there. He says this, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Mm. Paul tells us that he must always keep his eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. You know, it's like an Olympic athlete who trains tirelessly for the gold medal at the Olympics. You know, when they, when they get tired, I'm imagining that they're imagining what it's going to be like to be able to stand on that platform and hear their national anthem from their country being played. And that picture spurs them on. It would spur me on. You know, it was years ago that this young black child was growing up in Cleveland. He was in this home that he later described as materially poor, but spiritually so rich, so rich. One day, this famous athlete, his name was Charlie Paddock. Does anybody remember Charlie Paddock? He came to that school to speak to the students. And at the time, Paddock was considered the fastest human alive. So he told the children, he said, listen, I want you to hear this. He says, what do you want to be? He asked him that question. You name it, then believe that God will help you do it and be it. So that little boy decided that he too wanted to be the fastest man on earth. And so when the boy went to his track coach, he told him of his new dream. And his coach gave him some very good words of wisdom. I, I like what the coach told him. The coach said, he said this, he says, It's great to have a dream, but to attain your dream, you must build a ladder to it. Build a ladder to it. Here is, here is the ladder to your dreams, he said. The first rung is determination. The second rung is dedication. 
The third rung is discipline. And then the fourth rung is attitude. The result of all that motivation is that this young boy went on to win four gold medals in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. He, he won the 100-meter dash, and he broke the Olympic and world record in the 200-meter. His broad jump record lasted for 24 years. His name? Anybody know? Jesse Owens. That's right. So what is the prize that should spur us on? What is the prize? Well, I think it's more than a gold medal. What image should we keep in the forefront of our minds that that prize disperse on? Let me, I want to try to paint a picture for you. The image of standing before the Father and Him saying to you, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And He's not just looking at you. He's got His arms around you and He is just congratulating you. Well done. Having your life reviewed without any sense of regret or shame. Being surrounded by those, and this is really important, folks. Being surrounded by those whose lives have been redeemed partially because of your faithful witness. Think about that. Those that are already in heaven waiting to see you because you spoke to them about the Lord Jesus Christ and they're there because of you. There can't be anything more important than that. I'm telling you. How about the joy of that first moment when you see Jesus? Can you imagine? I just, it's just, it just blows my mind. So what does all this mean to us? What are the practical lessons for us as a church and as individuals? And I want to look at the church first. The practical lessons. Number one is this. Though we should be grateful for growth and blessing, we have seen we must always be looking for new opportunities to minister and to grow. We need to be looking for constantly for new opportunities. Number two, we, we must consistently evaluate our ministries and if, if it's working, then we need to keep doing it. If it isn't, then, then let's develop something new that will help those around us. I constantly hear the whispers and the, and the sayings that we need, we need more young people here. We need more children here. And I agree with that. You know, churches like ours sometimes within 20 or 30 years might not be in existence anymore if new younger children and younger families aren't coming in. So how do we do that? You know, we must always be on our guard that we value our traditions so much that we become, that, that they become an obstacle of growth. The question must always be before us, is this something that will promote or hinder the kingdom of God rather than well, this is always the way we've done it. You know, you've heard that statement all, you know, and it shouldn't be. Just a note here, though. I, I want to, I, I just, I'm going to say one note here about that. I'm not talking about doctrinal integrity. We stand 
on what we stand on. And we're not going to, we're not going to bow to that. We're not going to bow to that. We need to, Paul tells us, we need to watch our doctrine closely. So we never falter from that. And then we must always remember that our goal as a church here is not a particular attendance figure. And I've heard us say this. I've even said this. Oh, the, 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 the crowd looks thin today. That's not our, that's not, that should not be our goal, a particular attendance figure. Our goal is to honor and glorify Christ in all that we do. Because if you do that, when we pursue this goal of honoring and glorifying Christ, we will surely see the numerical numbers happen. But building our relationship with Christ needs to be paramount. So what does he mean for us personally then? Let me give you some practical ideas on that. Many people begin a diet or start an exercising program and then they don't follow through with it. Are you guilty of that? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. You can obviously see that I'm guilty of that, right? Okay. (laughs) You know, many start reading a book, but they never finish it. How many books do you have on your shelf that you've started reading, but you've never finished them? Yeah, someone held their hands up. I got five there. Some begin training in an area, but they give up when it becomes difficult. Some people are fascinated by faith for a while, and then they grow bored and they just move on to something else that will excite them for a little while. Notice I said a little while, because all worldly pleasures eventually are going to end. My question is, Are we like this? Are you like this? Is your faith superficial? Is my faith superficial? Are you a temporary follower? Or are you truly a committed follower of Jesus Christ? What is that that frog fully, I can't remember, was it fully something of God, fully follower a, a, a completely follower of God. Are you committed? Are you doing that? You know, the person who gives up misses out on the benefit that comes from hard work. And Christ wants us to be committed to him. He wants us to not give up. The one who gives up on exercise and diet, you know what they sacrifice? They sacrifice good health. They do. Those who, who give up on education are going to miss out on things that they could learn. And, and those who give up the race for the heavenly prize, they're going to miss out on the joy of walking with Jesus Christ someday. So what is the one thing? I've asked you a lot of questions today, haven't I? Are you writing them down? So what is the one thing that you are focused on? Are you focused on stuff? All this stuff I have? Are you focused on paying bills? If you are, I feel sorry for you. Are you, are you focused on gaining power? Are you focused on having temporary peaks of enjoyment? Do you want more from this life than that? If you do, then what you've got to do is you've got to set your sights higher than that. Press for the prize is what Paul tells us. 
seek to know him better and more fully. Jesus tells us that when we seek first his kingdom, all these other things that we are concerned about will take care of themselves. From Matthew chapter 6, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he says, all these things will be given to us as well. But it's about seeking his kingdom first. Some of us here today, we're near the finish line. Your earthly life is nearing its conclusion. My thought to you is this, and I'm talking to myself here because I'm no spring chicken, is that we do not coast. Don't coast now. Now is the time to kick to the finish line, to be strong. There are others of you here, you're just getting started. You're the young whippersnapper. You're just getting started. You know, don't, don't give up because it gets difficult. Keep working. Be patient. Growth, remember, growth takes time. And there are others of you here right now who are, you're right in the middle of the battle. You're, you're in the heat of the race. And I'm going to tell you this. Don't ever let up. Keep pushing. I know it is exhausting at times. You know, focus on the goal and strive to finish well. That's our goal. Paul is encouraging us to be more than just names on a church roll. That's what he wants. He doesn't want us to just be names on a church roll. He doesn't want us to merely call ourselves Christians. He wants us to know Christ. And he wants us to be real followers of Jesus. That's what he wants for all of us. And may we desire that as well. I want to close with this story. It's a pretty touching one by James Dobson. He tells of this as his spiritual hero. Here's what he says. He says, I heard about this man from a docudrama on television that I saw many years ago. He said, the producer had obtained permission from a cancer specialist to place cameras in his clinic. Then with the approval from three patients, two men and a woman, he captured on film the moment each of them learned that they were afflicted with a malignancy in its later stages, like stage three, stage four. Their, their initial shock, disbelief and fear and anger were recorded in graphic detail. He says afterwards, the documentary team followed these three families through the treatment process with its ups and downs, hopes and disappointments, pains and the terror that they had to face. This is the one that James Dobson talks about. He says, this man was a humble black minister of a small inner city Baptist church. He was in his late 60s and had been a minister throughout his adult life. His love for the Lord was so profound that it was reflected in everything he said. When he and his wife were told he only had a few months to live, he revealed no panic. They quietly asked the doctor what it all meant. And when he explained the treatment program and what would be and what he could anticipate, they politely thanked him for his concern and they left his office. See, the cameras followed this little couple to their, their old car 
as they eavesdropped, as, as they, they bowed their heads and recommitted themselves to the Lord in prayer. In the months that followed, the pastor never lost his poise, nor was he down about his illness. He knew the Lord was in control and he refused to be shaken in his faith. The cameras were present on his last final Sunday in church. He, he actually preached the sermon that morning and talked openly about his impending death. To the best of my recollection, this is what he said. He said, some of you have asked me if I'm mad at God for this disease that has taken over my body. I'll tell you honestly that I have nothing but love in my heart for my Lord. He didn't do this to me. We live in, in a sinful world where sickness and death are the curse that man has brought on himself. And I'm going to a better place where there is no more tears, no more suffering, and no more heartache. So you don't have to feel bad for me, he says. Besides, he continues, our Lord suffered and died for our sins. Why should I not share in his sufferings? Then he began to sing without accompaniment in an old broken voice. I wept as this gentle man sang of his love for Jesus. He sounded very weak and his face was drawn from the ravage of the disease. But his comments were as powerful as any I have ever heard. His words that morning were his last from the pulpit as far as I know. He slipped into eternity a few days later where he met the Lord that he had served for a lifetime. He was determined. What focus? What focus? Paul tells us, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. My prayer is, as the band is making their way up here this morning, my prayer is that that, that is our goal, that that is our focus, the focus of the faithful. Is that your desire? This morning, we're going to close our time together. And we're going to sing our closing song. And if you have a decision you need to make for the Lord, then we, we offer that opportunity for you to come. I know most of you here, I know that you've made decisions for the Lord, and so I get that. But maybe you need to come forward because you need prayer. Or maybe you want to rededicate your life because things have been tough. Those are also opportunities that you can come and profess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ.